Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending 28th of May. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live from Triple R Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear Molly Reynolds, director of My Name is Gulpalil. Uh, also, we got to chat to Justin Digger Calvary, gave us the down and dirty on volunteering in Holder Culture. Uh, and also, Simone Uvaldi popped in to give us a review of Master of None. We dragged out the special stalwart dinner review segment and we spoke to Sinead Stubbins about her debut memoir. In my defence, I have no defence. Triple R. The new documentary, My Name is Gulpalil, looks back over the 50-year screen career of the artist who has unquestionably changed the face of Australian cinema. Now terminally ill, the actor, dancer and painter generously shares his own story. And to tell us about the documentary, released nationally this week, director Molly Reynolds joins us now. Molly, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Good morning to you. Can you attempt to capture for us what it is about David Gulpalil that the camera just loves so much? Oh, I think it's animatic, you know. If we knew, then there would be more, um, you know, with that sort of, that charismatic, magnetic way that he has when he's on screen. He's, you know, I I think we'd all like to have what David Gulpilil's got. Mm -hmm. There's a great bit in the film where he's, yeah, David talks about his acting and he says, I just stand there and the camera sees me. Do you think he... um, I'm interested to know, does he, does he perform for the camera? And, like, we know he does when he's acting and stuff, but when you were filming him, did he kind of turn it on a little bit when the cameras were on? Uh, look, yes and no. He, he knows he has a relationship with the camera and he just has to be. Mm-hmm. So he is him, he's sort of he's himself and he knows that he lights up the screen. And he, he takes it right back through to saying, look, you know... I can I can sing and I can dance and I have I have this way of being and you know it just it just radiates. That's his that's the way his thinking works. He has you know a wonderful ego which um, which suits that sense of you know of, of self and knowing that he's amongst the best in the world. Mm. Speaking of being among the best in the world, what does the film capture about? Australia and cinema uh, and his journey achieving film stardom from such an early age? Look, I think the thing about David is not was he was one of the first Indigenous people on um, on the big screen, but he, he, could, he, he could also act, he could perform, he could hold his own against the others, um, you know, mainly white fellas at the time. And so what I think he... He did for the, you know, the generation of black fella actors to come was to sort of say, yes, you too can do it and you can act. You know, you're not just Indigenous representation on screen. So he, he led the way. Mm. And the film sort of it captures his the decline of his health. How do you shoot vulnerability without being invasive? Ah. Oh. Goodness, I think I think to to let it be, not to try and work it with music or um, or sort of cut it cut it dramatically. You just kind of got to to be with it and trust trust the material and trust your audience. Um, you've been, um, I guess, friends with David for a long time. Can you talk to us about how this whole project came about? Um, I think he was when he was um, diagnosed with his widespread stage four lung cancer. He Rolf, one of the producers, and you know, one of his long-standing collaborators. He and I went to visit David, and David was, I think, putting aside the the, the prognosis, the dire prognosis, saying, "Look, I just like to work. What can I do?" And you know, after sort of, you know, just discussions amongst ourselves we arrived at a documentary because we felt it could give David a a significant um you know a significant focus purpose um and you know a a body of of work like and what I mean by that is 
You know, he we shot for 67 shooting days. Mm. No feature film could give him that. What would be your introduction to people unfamiliar with David's work? What what movie would you show them and why? Oh, now that, you see, my bias is going to come into that. I would say The Tracker, um, partly because my partner Rolf made it and I'm particularly partial to it, mm-hmm. and partly because it's David's... Um, lead role and you know that he got so to late stage career until he was offered a lead role is is quite remarkable and partly because it's such a bloody good film Mm. (laughs) the excerpts of the films are so i mean the the quality is so striking it made me kind of wanted to ask about the national film and sound archive because uh preserving footage and is, is so important, and I noticed that you thank uh, the cultural institution, which is undergoing some funding concerns. Can you speak to that at all? Um, look, yes, we did do a special shout-out to the NFSA because it is, it is a remarkable institution, and I think it's sort of un- undervalued uh, culturally. I think any archival organisation, which libraries are, um, you know, museums, galleries, they kind of they 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 preserve our our past, and our past is incredibly important for informing our you know our presence and our our future. And that documentary would not be what it is without that archival material. And no, you know that archival material would have been unusable unless it was preserved by the NFSA. Mm. So. You know, and that, that, you know, who is David? We would never know unless we were able to, to look, you know, to have all that old audio and visual footage. The film, my name is Gopalor, made its premiere, world premiere at the Adelaide Festival in March. David lives in South Australia. What was it like having him there? Ah, uh, look... The original intent with the documentary was to um, to finish with David's death ceremony. And when it was apparent that David wasn't going to die in the immediate future, um, especially since he was meant to be gone by 2018, we, um, Rolf, myself, Peter Jigger, the other producer, and David and I discussed our options and we all agreed that it would be a pretty fab outcome if we could have him on stage instead of um, instead of a you know his cemetery box, so it was all the more poignant to have him standing there and receive his standing ovation. Do you have anything to say about his fashion? He seems to always cut a striking figure. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He, he's sharp. Um, and that sort of reflected through right to when he goes travelling. He's, you know, a very fastidious character and his suitcase has all his clothes folded, ironed, you know, sort of ready ready for him to wear. He loves laying his suits out across the bed in, in that, you know, in anticipation of the evening ahead. Yeah. He likes, he likes to dress. <laughs> uh, so we're talking a theatre release May 27, but there's a Q&A the day before. Can you speak to us about that? Yes, indeed. There's a um, sort of big, you know, there's a screening with a big Q&A afterwards. Uh, um, and there will be that, uh, David Thompson, Margaret Pomerant, um, Stephen Page, Wittiana. Um, and I think they're all, you know, well, I know they're all going to speak to, to David and, you know, and the sort of what he has, what he has constri- you know, contributed to contemporary Australia. So is that available for everyone to tune in on, uh, online? Um, that, I think, will, I thought it was going to be available via URL, um, but I know that if you kind of go to Instagram, my name is Galpalil, or Facebook, ABCG Film, mm. um, you'll be able to know for sure. And uh, what about uh, having this as an opportunity for him to be alive, to see all of this? It's something that, uh, you know, we all kind of wish for ourselves, I suppose. Do, what does David think about the attention for this project? 
Oh, look, there's a couple of things. I think he's been used to the attention his entire life. Um, and right now, you know, he's a, he's a sort of a, a shadow of his former self. You know, he's a sick man. He's, he's fragile. So I think he's sort of satisfied enough in it, but not... He's not hungry for it in the way that he used to be. Well, we might just leave it there, <laughs> considering there's a train arriving at the station. Yes, uh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's my name is Gopalal. It has a national release May 27 everywhere, but in the meantime, there'll be a evening on May 26 live streamed an interactive Q&A honouring the screen career of the Australian living legend David Gorpalil. And uh, we've been speaking with director Molly Reynolds. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you. Melbourne's own Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your plants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop singing about dirt? For Down and Dirty, Digger's generously volunteered his time to educate us this morning. G'day, Digger. Morning all. How are we? Excellent. Really well. Beautiful morning. Bit bit breezy, but warm. Mm, Pretty good. Currently 13 degrees with a high of 15. (laughs) (laughs) But what does it feel like, Asia? (laughs) It feels like probably 17 yeah, actually. Agreed. Do you, re- you don't Agreed. read the feels like temperature, do you? Not for the weather, no. but for my own personal, uh, you know, record, like I, w- I do want to know. Mm. But yeah. I, I get people like, why does it have a feels like? Why isn't it just like the feels like? Yeah, I think it should just be feels like. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. It's like, it feels like it's warm. It feels like it's cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. It feels like it's crisp. Yeah. yeah. You, you want the Bureau of Meteorology filled with feels yeah. like people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they're always with a roundabout word anyway, so it's, a, it's an ish kind of thing, weather, you know. Um, I want to talk volunteering today because uh, last week was Volunteer Week and, you know, obviously crossed over, but there's a lot of volunteering to do in horticulture and over the years come across a lot of people who have volunteered and get so much out of it and it just kind of makes perfect sense. Like, uh, horticulture plants, that kind of stuff, is very intimidating for a lot of people because there's just so much to know. Mm. Yes. You know, and no one's ever going to know it all. But volunteering gives you the opportunity to go and spend some time in a specific area with a specific branch of horticulture. Well, like that one. That was the first. Yeah, I've got, mm-hmm. then I've got six. Um, <laughs> six puns in you? Yeah, don't six, yeah. Uh, on this topic. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, and so you can go and spend a bit, you know, a bit of time in different areas of horticulture and... And not just learn about the plants, obviously you're gleaning information, but it's also different connections that you make because horticulture is as massive as it is, and it is a big employer of people. You tend to find and come across the same kind of people again in the years to come. It's so weird at how, you know, people that I studied with in 1840 who I just bump into and, you know, uh, you know the head of horticulture somewhere and go, oh, my God, I remember you, and you're just always bumping into the same sort of people. Right. It's awkward at the supermarket because you're like, Oh, am I supposed to say hello to you? I know your face, but I don't know where I know your face from. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. So um, really diverse opportunities in horticulture to volunteer. For whom? Absolutely everyone. Absolutely everyone. From um, the first one that comes, you think of cross-section. Have you heard of Kevin Hines Grow? Yes. Yeah. So Kevin Hines Grow, uh, one facility in Doncaster, and have have also got a few little um, laterals out in Coburg. That's a pun too. Um, <laughs> uh, it's essentially an organisation where um, it works with people with disabilities, all disabilities, and to run gardening programs. So learn how to garden, people to use garden essentially as horticultural therapy or therapeutic mm. horticulture. Amazing organisation that you can all sorts of opportunities to to practice horticulture, to growing seedlings and fruits and veg and then go out and do some garden maintenance and those kind of things with them. So amazing organisation and that's for everybody. But even think right down to like the Royal Botanic Gardens right at the other end. So the highest level of horticulture has a volunteer program. So you can go and volunteer with some of the leading horticulturists in the country in their day-to-day job and just spend some time and glean information and just have a whole stack of fun. Is that how you start? Like, what was your first volunteering? My first volunteering, I'm responsible for all the vegetation between Clifton Hill and Collingwood along the 
River's Edge there. Oh, are you? Well, I was one person. Yeah. There was, there was hundreds. But anyway, I did all those re-veg back in the day um, and I did a lot of re-veg for Landcare and with Parks Vic. Yeah, there was a guy um, uh, in, in lockdown last year because Landcare was still – they did a lot of replanting in um, the, the road between um, Tar- the, the river tra- Tarwan Lower and, mm-hmm. and Burnus Bay. So, yeah. yeah, at least once a week, you know, they'd go out. And I chatted, was chatting to one guy who was, yeah – like me, originally from Melbourne, but was, you know, staying there mm. during lockdown. He was like, it's the best thing that I've done. It was just, it's really nice to, you know, have this purpose and kind of hang out with these people once a week and, and you get to see the results of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I still, to this day, go down to that part of, every, whenever I'm down around that area, because I don't mm. get around Clifton Hill that much, but if I do, it's like, take a little divert, park the car and just go walk along. It's like, I remember planting that tree. Wow. And, mm. you know, and that one and that one and that one. Um, and it's just a wonderful thing to sit under a tree that you planted, it was decades ago. Mm. Wow. Um, How old were you when you... I started in my teens doing yeah. volunteering and in, then into the 20s and doing so that kind of stuff. 1870s. Yeah, 1870s. <laughs> just after the Black Plague. <laughs> Um, but there's all different sorts of stuff. Think about if you're into fruit trees, the Heritage Fruit Society. So, again, have two um, areas, so one out in Templestowe, another one out in Werribee Mansion. If you're into fruit trees, go and spend some time with these people. Learn how to graft fruit trees. Learn how to maintain and prune fruit trees. Amazing opportunities. Community gardens would probably be the first place I'd go to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, get into your local community garden. Every one of them has, like, a, an open day once a month. Um, so you can just rock on up, no invite needed, um, and just start making connections and start doing a bit of gardening. And who knows, it might lead to you having your own plot mm. or just joining in with their community spaces. So they all have a like the nature strip area or whatever, which is just open to everyone. Once you're connected, then you can just go and start pottering. And I think it's the connections and the information that you're going to learn is probably what you get out the mm. most. Uh, with community gardens, when you say it might lead to you having your own plot, what has to happen? Do they? Do you have to wait for someone to die, like an MCC member? Uh, well, yeah. in some gardens, yeah. yeah. Um, in some gardens, the waiting list is years. Wow. So, yeah, you probably get your MCC membership before you get, <laughs> before you get a plot out at Mary Corner. Um, <laughs> um, but new ones are popping up all the time. More and more people are interested in this sort of thing and starting to understand the benefits of gardening and horticulture in general. So a seeking opportunities, maybe not to do a full course, not sign up for a you know, Cert 3 or something, yeah. but still get some information. So you know, plots are coming up and more and more spaces are coming up. The view is that a lot of the railways that are going up off the ground now are creating a lot of space underneath, oh. so more opportunities for urban horticulture nice. practices, which would be nice. What about just not to dwell on this forever? Uh, but what if you're not? What if you're in the community garden and you're and you're dropping the ball figuratively, uh, and you're not lifting? Your plot is falling apart. Did, can you get punted? Um, sadly, no. Oh, okay. sadly, no. So over time, those kind of things come up all the time. It's like such and such isn't doing this, but you know, uh-huh. there's all sorts of things that could be happening in your life while you weren't of gardening course. for yeah, yeah, yeah. that time. So that's where the network comes into it. And people band together, it's like, uh-huh. hey, do you need some help? You know, maybe this is getting a bit too much for you. Do you need some help? Because uh-huh. usually it is a, an annual fee that that you'd renew. Yeah. Um, and so people just keep paying it. But, of course, if they don't pay their annual fee, then the plot becomes available. Yeah. You know? And there are waiting lists for volunteering sometimes? Absolutely. So I know, obviously, there's a lot of eco-centres that have volunteering. So Port Phillip Eco-Centre, Edendale Farm in Eltham. Um, series just across the road here has, you know, huge volunteer network. Without volunteers, series would cease to exist. Mm. Um, so their market garden, their propagation facility and the site management teams all have volunteers. Propagation is really popular. That one tends to be, you know, a waiting list for that. But again, sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Sometimes a few people have pulled out on a Tuesday mm. and a, a few little windows come up. So well worth sending an email and just finding. I know a lot of people, a lot of my students have done time volunteering at at Series Market Garden and Propagation and have absolutely loved it and continue to be there long after the courses are finished. And yeah. Because the, the amount of information that you can get off you know, seasoned professionals, just spending a day with them once a week for six weeks. Yeah. Incredible. Sometimes volunteering, you f- I feel like I'm in the way. Like it's, it's more like you're here more for my benefit than I'm here for yours. I'm not really contributing meaningfully. Oh, I feel no. like I'm wasting your time. No, 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 no. Never feel like that. Obviously, some days, especially in horticulture, there can be some mundane days. You might be doing a bit of weeding, whatever, and it's just like, oh, 
you know, this is not fun for any of us. And so maybe the person leading is like, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to sit and do this. That's, yeah. There's no way around it. Um, but that's just like any day today, isn't it? Sometimes it's a grind and sometimes it's the sun comes out and it's mm. like, oh, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else rather than plant some trees down by the river. Mm. Yeah. Is there any places that are desperate for volunteers? Or it's just because COVID is so up in the air at the moment, there's a few things that might be on hold, but it's definitely going to be the thing that when things lift, they're going to be screaming out for it. Because, you know, like Triple R, like Sirius, a lot of these organisations are just underpinned by volunteers and really need volunteers to keep going. So I don't know for a fact, but when COVID lifts, they'll be screaming for all sorts of volunteers. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever fired a volunteer? Never fired a volunteer. I suggested um, other avenues. It's yeah. like maybe, you know, this might be better for you. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing, you know. Um, because it is, you know, obviously you've got personality like dynamics. Computer dynamics games and, or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, motor mechanics. <laughs> um, yeah, lots and lots of different centres. So, so really think about having a crack. A lot of the time they do want you to sign on for a, for a little while. It's not like just rock up for one day. Mm. Um for example, like with propagation, you kind of need, because it has to happen every day and a certain amount of work has to get done, um, they prefer you to sign up and say, hey, I'll, I'll commit six weeks. You know, I'll come in on a Tuesday for six weeks. That would be handy. Yeah. But that talk to all the organisations to see what their expectations are and whether, you know, that's going to work for you or potentially how you could work around it. Mm-hmm. What's a, a gardening uh apparatus that people you know how like if you play golf there's so well i know but there's so much there's so much extra shit that people have that they don't need but sometimes if you're an amateur you spend everything and you have you know you go all out whereas the experts don't actually have that yeah yeah. gardening apparatus it's garbage uh the tool belt the gardening belt they're great for at home but i don't think if you're going to go volunteer you won't need to bring your whole full belt (laughs) okay yeah They'll, they'll have all the equipment that you need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got all the full, all the like sixteen different pouches. And yeah, personalised belt. Yeah, yeah, yep. and the pop out umbrella and you yeah, know, that'd be me. Um, yeah, probably that one. But obviously, you know, you need your PPE, sturdy footwear, and gloves and hats and all that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. Is there anywhere that okay? So we, have you covered sort of all over Melbourne here? Um, yeah. So you think of you know from Werribee out there for the orchards. We've got Templestowe. We've got the north out in Eltham. Obviously, that Royal Botanic Gardens, both in the city and down in Cranbourne. Um, it's absolutely everywhere. And obviously, your community gardens there are everywhere. Um, there, I've just got down in my list two friends groups. So like friends of the Merry Creek or friends of Darabin Creek or friends of Gardner Creek um, to do re-veg programs. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful. And it's, that's a great way to get to know your local environment because then you'll hear all the anecdotes. Oh, this, is, this plant is used by this insect and this bird loves this. And if you're into the natural world and your local environment, the friends groups, the land care re-veg programs are the best. Yeah. Do you keep a notepad or is it all up here? Um, now it's all up here. I probably shouldn't need to go back to a notepad because, you know, I'm getting older mm-hmm. um, and I'm just tending to forget all the important things, <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the waffle stain in there. Um, it'd be yeah, back in the days to keep Garden Diary, but now it's all just in my head. So, right. Yeah. Garden Diary, I suppose, is something that people bring along with their belt. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'll be a little notepad that'll get transferred into the garden. <laughs> um, Digga, just fascinating. Thanks for giving your time for us this morning. Pleasure. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Simone Yaboli is here to tell us what we can watch at home if it comes to that. G'day, Simone. Hello. Hello. Good morning, Asia. Morning. Yes. I'm hitting the home. I'm hitting the home content. Coincidentally, I'm not. I'm not psychic. Uh, Master of None season three. Yeah, what the hell's going on? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you are displeased. I take it. Well, what's it about? I mean, what's up? Well, so he got cancelled. I thought he was kind of semi-cancelled. <laughs> he was. There was an attempted cancelling. He went underground for a bit. The cancelling itself was was executed in a very non-strategic way and so the world kind of moved on it was a different time but he has kind of re-emerged it's not the first thing that season zari has done since the attempted cancelling but he has re-emerged with his kind of um prize project master of none which is like multi-emmy award winning he's not really in it so he has been the star of it for the first two seasons one set in new york and one set in la belle italia Mm -hmm. um 
yeah, this one's not about him. It's about a black lesbian couple trying to conceive a baby and how that impacts their relationship. It's really about their relationship over the course of kind of five periods. Um, And it stars Lena Waithe, who is a comedian that appeared uh, in the first couple of seasons of Master of None, and it's principally about her and and, um, her partner's relationship. Uh, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's arguably not Master of None, then. It is arguably not Master of None. I mean, Aziz Zara makes an appearance, and he directs and co-writes the entire series uh, uh, with Lena Waithe. And it tonally, it's an interesting thing. Like, tonally, even though it doesn't have the comedy that Aziz brought to the first two seasons, it still feels like the previous seasons. And and the argument has been made that it's because Aziz Ansari is particularly obsessed with European cinema. It has been said that he has the taste of an 80-year-old gentleman in the body of a young comedian. Um, And so stylistically there are kind of, there's like a through line to it. But it's definitely... Less funny. Not the Master of None was always kind of drop down hilarious. Mm. It was just kind of quirky and odd, and that is still there. It because it deals with the subject of uh, infidelity, infertility particularly. It can be quite heavy, and it's um, shot in this four three aspect ratio uh, with a camera that doesn't move much. It's it's also been I haven't actually seen scenes from marriage, but it, it's kind of widely noted that it borrows very heavily from Bergman's scenes from marriage in terms of the way the camera is very still. I'm kind of arguing against my own point. I do think it feels like, uh, it looks like previous Master of None series. Uh, It has a similar kind of sensibility in terms of the way the characters talk to each other, like the tone of the dialogue is very similar. But, yeah, it's also a massive right turn, um, which... Who's to say why? Who's to say if it was Aziz taking himself out of the spotlight um, and choosing to focus on this kind of particular intersection of oppressed characters or whether... I mean, Lena was in the shows previously and he has collaborated with her previously. You know, maybe he just really felt there was a strong story to be told. Mm. Well, the, yeah, go on, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. No, uh, so she won an Emmy or for one standout episode yeah. of season one or season two, yeah. I forget. Yeah. And then, one. so this is sort of a spin-off, but under the s- same yeah. title. Yeah. Anyway. I, I mean, technically it's called Master of Love, uh, Moments in Love. Master of None, Moments in Love. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it is sort of presented as this, like, capsule event. And, yeah, there is and there is a, definitely a connection through her and through the fact that he has made it and in that respect is kind of the author leading this project. And it's good. Like, I don't really care, particularly, you know, when we watch in this binge fashion, there's not a lot of shows that I'm following from a kind of narrative point of view and expecting there to be consistency and and needing there to be characters developed in that way. I want television to surprise me and this does very much does that. Like quite, like quite aside from the quality of the acting, which is amazing, the story, which has some incredibly beautiful moments, again, particularly around the IVF stuff, which is really... I've never seen it portrayed in such a stark way that really kind of captures um, the emotional journey, the way that this particular show does. But anyway... But leading... do you think that, that IVF... I don't... Th- I think that's the kind of the new thing that, well... People are doing. That, well, not people are doing that it's been... Well, maybe, yeah, people are doing because it's been talked about a bit more. I'm just noticing it comes up a bit more in, in popular culture that it's, it's a more open discussion about how hard it is to do IVF and the emotional baggage around it. You are probably right, and I can't think of any of the things. Oh, I, I mean, it's coming up in your yeah. I mean, it's just radar. I mean, it comes up in my radar in terms of I, I guess you know I saw stand-up shows about it and you know things like that, and then this. Well, this well, this would be the first big thing that I could think. I couldn't name another TV show or anything off the top of my head that's doing it. There are definitely things here and there. This is the first TV show that I've seen. Having been through the process personally, mm. there was a real dearth of material on you know, mm. the IVF infertility thing. So it's ben El- of... didn't Ben Elton have Inconceivable? That was like oh yeah, twenty plus years ago. Oh yeah, I mean, look, it's not like no one ever. It's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. Voldemort. Like people are talking <laughs> about. Um, but yeah, it's very nice to see, and I think there's probably a strong argument to be made that certainly. Um, 
two black lesbian women going through this experience is something that we haven't seen before. Not that I think that um, it necessarily is markedly different. There's one scene that's really pointedly about the barriers to getting insurance coverage uh, if you're a, a, a lesbian to have IVF, um, which is quite pointed. But, you know, a lot of it is just two human people who love each other and who struggle through their love and mm-hmm. how that kind of comes together and breaks apart. It's a very handsome series. It's set <laughs> in upstate New York in some sort of, like, beautiful, like, amazingly designed and decorated hipster antique cottage on a significant block of land in, in the winter. Everyone is wearing the most immaculate clothes. Uh, Lena's just got this amazing street, like extremely high-end street fashion going on and a sneaker collection that makes me want to weep. And her partner is just like a pattern-clashing goddess and um, they have quite distinctive characters in the show. Her partner's English and she's American. and But they also, the kind of connection between the two of them, the intimacy that you see in their relationship which, you know, I think the thing that people are going to recall most is the two of them folding laundry and dancing together quite early on in the series, and it's just... Oh, they're both amazing dancers as well. They're just very pleasurable people to watch on screen. Mm. They have a lot of charisma, and the trauma when it comes is is very kind of sympathetic and informative, and it has it, it kind of jumps forward in time in an interesting way. It's just an interesting piece of television. And the people are writing about this series... Are giving taking it very very seriously. They're giving an enormous amount of weight, and some are being, I'm going to say, excessively critical, probably because of the attempted cancelling. But no one's talking about. Oh, is that say the OC? Because apparently I haven't watched <laughs> popular television since <laughs> 1997. I don't know maths. Probably someone is talking about maths in this way. But it is a very serious piece of work, and critics are treating it very seriously. I also found it very pleasurable to watch. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean they're they're not as you. I think alluded to. They're not called episodes. They're called chapters. Yeah. I mean, that's a bit of a wank, but we'll cope with that. It's all it's all a bit of a wank, <laughs> but it's not wanky. It's actually... Yeah. I mean, they vary in length as well. Like, what era have we entered into? Do you remember when we had to watch MASH every day for, like, 50 years because that's all there was on television? Mm-hmm. Quite like MASH, but... And now there's like a bit. Why is that your match? No, that was the theme. That's that just was the theme. The song. Most. It sounded like a dying. <laughs> yeah, that's what the theme is. <laughs> anyway, this thing. Can we just stop? Can we finish there? The... Can you sing us out on the match? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, no, the, this, the episodes vary from like 25 minutes to like an hour. It's, really? Yeah, Whoa. Yeah. Oh, hence the chapters. That's not a bit of a wank at all. That's very fitting. It's quite freeform. And that is interesting to me. It is interesting. Particularly as we are all probably soon to be staring at the blank walls of our homes again. Oh, no. And forgetting what it is to be people of the world. All right. It's Master of None. Let's all hold hands and match. No, don't actually, don't touch. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, it's Master of None, season three. It's on what? Your major streaming um, service. Netflix. Yeah, you say it, not me. Alright. <laughs> Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Ash, it's your last day with us today after three weeks filling in before Sarah Smith comes back. Uh, and could not let you go without participating in one of our favourite segments. Dinner review. It's time for a dinner review. It's time for the dinner review. Uh, what did you have for dinner last night? And give it a rating out of five. Okay. That's so, essentially what we're doing. Yeah, done. Um, I went for a little bit of a late walk because I had to do a little late mission stationary outing. Um, uh, and on the way back, I was like, mm, not really feeling the whole cooking type scenario. Yeah. Because it was like... That's me every day. Mm. And so my partner and I debated, you know, the walk home, that fun conversation of what are we having for dinner tonight? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we settled on one of our little local pizza joints. Went in there? Went in there, yeah, masks on, of course, um, to get a takeaway pizza. So we didn't eat in. Great. Um, ordered yeah. it up, took ordered it Ordered it up, yep. We, we're like a 30-second walk away. It's quite dangerous, to be honest. 
Uh, and we had the, uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, the La Duana, La Duana, which is, um, so it's one of the wood-fired oven pizzas with prosciutto and rocket, cherry tomatoes, parmesan, simple but beautiful. Traditional pizzas, Mm -hmm. what you want. And they were very generous with the prosciutto. So that's what I love. They did not skimp. Which mm. can happen now and again. At just some the one pizza, pizza joints. Yeah, just the one. Just the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Big pizza. Hard we to shared cut that. Prosciutto. Yes, it is. If it if it goes over a slice and you're oh, trying to divvy up the slices, that's it can yeah. be a bit elastic. Yeah, it was it was a little bit tricky. Yeah. There was some struggle with the cutting of the prosciutto. Jeff Sparrow would have been happy with that pizza. Yeah. He used to call him prosciutto hands. <laughs> Um, uh, oh, but uh, out of five, I would actually probably get of a four, four out of five stars. It's a it's a solid pizza. Yeah. Mm, Radio. Mm-hmm. But how did you feel about the pizza? How did I feel about it? Yeah, just to, so because the ratings we know. Doctor Jen told us the stars actually oh, don't matter. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, I I did love the pizza. Um, I felt that it was transported me back to a little bit of um, traditional Italy. Rightio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that sounds full starts. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, what oh, did you have? Uh, well, I went out on Chapel Street because I feel like because there were so many exposure sites on Chapel Street. You felt left out, didn't you? I felt you didn't, left out. I was like, you didn't... Oh, man, I'm isolating. Yeah. I thought I took it as an indictment on my social life. I understand. Like I've thought of you this week, and all these spots in spread, all in your neighbourhood. I was yeah. like, "Oh, Dan- Daniel's not coming into work. <laughs> Daniel's not going to be able to come." Oh no, you just yeah, you're a busy man. Stay at home. Look at the moon out the window. <laughs> uh, so I went to a place near one of the exposure sites, mm. and uh, because it's the last night of everything, uh, I think the prices were like half price. They're just trying to get rid of their food. Oh, true. Yeah. Maybe that's why you got all the prosciutto on your your pizza. Solid point, yeah. So, and, you know, I'm trying to support businesses before they, uh, you know, are forced into this lockdown. And I I got a pulled pork burger in it. Look, I blame myself. Uh, I picked it up. The feeling felt... I think it was a knife and fork job. Oh. And I took it as a double-handed effort. And I regret it. I regret it. Uh, Mm. It did, however, come with an award-winning size pickle, which is a very American thing. Like a giant, I'm going to say... Like a gherkin even. Sorry, yes. What's What's the difference? Oh, no. Yeah. Well, it was a... Can it be a pickled gherkin? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, We're talking like six inches. Whoa. It was it was that so a, big. That is a big gherkin. And I didn't mean to be suggestive with that figure. <laughs> All right, you know. That, you, you can't that's control good, where people's minds go enough. to. Sorry. You yeah. can't control that. Can't. That's, that's not, you know, that's not me. that's that's on us. Yeah, yeah. For going to where, Thank you. where for going there. Yeah. yeah. Uh and beer was super cheap. I, I mean there was there was a bit of a last hurrah vibe out. Mm. Yeah. Uh you know, a lot of places were packed, there were trivia nights that were heaving and I couldn't get in. You know, I'm not gonna sit there and not not you know, and not Imagine, partake. What a what a s- sad figure you would cut just standing <laughs> Trivia rings. Anyone need an extra member on, the, or just but on the back, on the just not even in, just peering through the window, going, yeah. "I know that answer." I'm experiencing isolation already. <laughs> That's right. Quiz will be coming up later today. I'll oh, fill in you. Sure. I'll fill in you quiz needs. Yeah. Uh, I got home and straight into a hot shower after filming all day, just oh, being really, really cold. That must have felt amazing, oh, though. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And then um, it popped open the freezer because I have fully embraced not cooking because I'm bad at cooking because I'm on my own. Cat's away. Cat's in Venus Bay. We live separately at the moment, not because we're separated, but because we both have different lives and work in different places. Um, and so during the week, uh, I'm on my own at home and I can't cook. And it's difficult to cook for one person, mm. I find. You do but, lose the motivation to cook for one person. Motivation. And also there's so much food wastage. Like I can't, I can't eat like a whole... The whole like you want eat fruit and oh, vegetables. What are you going to do? Compliment yourself as you're sitting there having a mouthful? It's stupid. Exactly. But also, I I don't need a whole a whole pumpkin. What am I going to do with the rest of the pumpkin? Yeah, mm. yeah. 
oh, I'll make them soup. I, I don't want it. So. And then it's someone cooks and someone tidies up and you're doing all of it. Yeah. yeah. Get it? Well, I don't tell. Yeah. <laughs> I cook for myself. <laughs> Dishes are still in the sink. I'll fix it. Who cares? Later. Later. Uh, anyway, I fully embraced the microwave meal. Oh, God. I, because I found some that actually have flavour and there is uh, a lots of this variety and I'm into it. It takes me six minutes. I'll just pop it in the microwave six minutes. You look like it's really depressing, but it's not. I'm really happy with the amount of variety. Good for you. <laughs> I'm not judging. I've been there. I just. I'm not leaving there. I'm staying there. It's great. I'm there from time to time. But I think if once you're reading the instructions to work out what to do with the film, I just think that's so depressing. <laughs> you pierce it with a fork three oh, times. Sometimes you wind it up and sometimes you put it back. Very confusing. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you have to bring it out, stir it midway, oh, cycle. So oh. just, yeah, yeah, I did that. You just oh. take it off. Pierce it with a fork through I've, I've learnt them all. There's particular ones where, yeah, you might have to peel it back and give it a stir and pop it back in the microwave for one Hart's minute. Michael Hart's not listening. How many, oh. how many stars? I'll, last night, um, I'll give it – there's others that I prefer. So I'll give this the last one that I had last night three stars. Right. Three. All right. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Don't poo-poo the microwave yeah. meal because they've stepped it up. I'm watching it stand. Oh, yes, because it's like you got to sit, wait, wait for it to sit for a bit oh, before you eat gee, it. the anticipation is killing me. <laughs> Put it in a bowl, <laughs> take it to the table, pop the telly on, watch the news, a bit of bargain hunt even. <laughs> Woo! Ah, that's right, triple R. Yes, you are tuned into Breakfasters. Yes, Shanine Stubbings is a writer known for her TV recaps <laughs> for junkie on shows such as The Bachelor and Game of Thrones and has written for The Guardian, The Saturday Paper, Frankie, The Big Issue, Vulture, and who joined the writing team for The Weekly with Charlie Pickering on ABC. Her debut memoir, In My Defence, I Have No Defence, Catastrophes in Pursuing Perfection, is out now via a firm press. And to tell us about it, the editor and cultural critic joins us... Now, Sinead, welcome back to Breakfasters. Hi, guys. Hello. How are you? Oh, uh, chip up, mate. Feeling good. Here, yeah. Here's the thing. There's nothing else to talk about. Only my book. That's the biggest thing happening in Melbourne. <laughs> Let's all relax. A lot of buzz on the street. Yeah. So. Well, it does seem like small potatoes now, but sorry about the book launch. Uh, look, it, it's... It's not lost on me that I've written a book about things not going to plan and failure <laughs> and failed to have a book launch, but look... People were very nice. Mm. Got some flowers sent to the house. Oh, that's that flowers is nice. Yeah, it was like I had died and I was seeing my own funeral. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was real good. <laughs> uh, was there anything about the book launch that you were secretly relieved not to have endured? I don't love speaking in front of a room, so that was okay. Would have loved to have. 17 or 18 beers and drink a lot of cupcakes and people tell me well done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. That would have been sick. But, uh, you know, I can have 17 beers another night. Maybe tonight. That it's night. so true. What's your response when, when you know, again and again and again people going, well done, well done, well done? Do you have the same response or do you change it up for each person? Well, I've had to get better at it because... At first, when people were saying, "Oh, well done, you wrote a book," I'd be like, "Oh, it's not good. Um, yeah. Don't mm. don't say congratulations. Oh, no, nah, don't worry. Like, yeah, I feel really but guilty." But it is good, isn't it? Thank you. Well, thanks. it is good. <laughs> thanks, mate. Yeah. So there you go. That's yeah, a good response. That's right. Put you to the test straight I, up. I did have it. to pause though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the urge. <laughs> uh, so on page one, you say maybe you feel great the way you are. I'm really very happy for you. It's true. I honestly could not be happy for you. On page two, you describe yourself as having a jealous, depraved heart. Is that the duality of man, or is is? Yes, that is the duality of man, <laughs> and that's what the book is about. No, I. I mean, you know, I think. I, I do have a jealous, depraved heart, and I am jealous of people who seem like they're having a great time and mm. com- have a certain ease about them. So that that was a lie that I put on <laughs> Basically, that's that's me trying to project a more moral and virtuous version of myself than I am in reality. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, what's the compliment that probably comes up the most with this book? Relatable is one that I've mm-hmm. heard a lot. Definitely. Yeah, I felt like I was reading me. Oh. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm feeling like kindred spirit vibes, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was quite quite surreal, to be honest. Imagine if it really was about you, and I'd just been stalking <laughs> you for a year. 
<laughs> I promise I haven't been stalking you. Okay. Do you so think you're, you're not that shadow that I see out of the corner of my eye now. That's and again. someone else. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Noted. Do you think that's where the. Um, I think it's a book that really speaks to your generation. Um, and I think that's where the um, comparisons with someone like David Sedaris comes in because, A, it is very funny. And I think you speak um, on behalf of a lot of people, you know, it's why people find it so relatable. Um, I want to know, um, let's talk about your uh, role models, the chapter on role models, which I really enjoyed because you are such a Joe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for noticing. No worries. I did come here in a big hoop skirt today. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we're talking Joe from Little Women. Little Women. Love Joe. I love Joe so much. Uh, Yes, so I loved the Winona Ryder Mm -hmm. iteration of Joe from the 90s, but pretty soon I realised that even though I idolised Joe and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a writer, I don't need a man, blah, 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 I'm bossy in a good way, in a charming way. I I did realise that it kind of made me limit myself a lot because I decided early on what kind of woman I wanted to be and that was a a Joe, basically. Mm. And then it meant that Anytime I wanted to be a different kind of woman, like maybe I wanted to experiment with mascara. Maybe I did want to kiss a boy. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh no, but no, Joe no. Joe wouldn't do that. Joe wouldn't mm. do that. You so, needed a bracelet with WWJD, but not Jesus, but Joe. Yeah, not Jesus, but Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I mean, that'd be a great tattoo. <laughs> we have. Uh, Anxiety just sort of dripping off the page. Is that it? Am I allowed to say that? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it so, is accurate. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, you're waking, in, uh, you're waking up in a hospital after getting your wisdom teeth out and then you make small talk with a nurse and invent that you just dreamed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I invented a dream to try to make her feel more comfortable standing by my bedside. And the dream was that uh, Lindsay Lohan and I were just hanging out. <laughs> Because I didn't know that dreams, you didn't dream under general aesthetic. Well, neither did I until I was told later. <laughs> and people said to me, that nurse thought you were an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, also, being a cultural critic, I suppose you've reflected on the ways that you were corrupted by Seth from the OC and Pacey from yeah, Dawson's Creek. Yeah, yeah. In what ways? I feel you, girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they ruined your life too. Little bit, yeah, little bit. Yeah. How? Well, they set up an expectation that... I would be loved from afar by a roguishly handsome best friend who was very funny and we would have excellent banter and they had very funny slogan T-shirts and then I should just sort of wait until I was admired and then we'd be in love forever. Yeah. Decide your time. Yeah, yeah, which was not my experience of adolescence at all. Mm. And, in fact, I was the one, the nerdy one in the T-shirt looking at, <laughs> looking at people from the corner of the party and, yeah, pretty much being a stalker. <laughs> yeah. um, what about you, uh, cultural criticism and the, the deep co- pop culture cuts that you've involved yourself in? Is there anything that surprises you about how far down the rabbit warren you've gone? Well, in the last couple of years, the piece that I think, the piece of like, I I suppose you would call it criticism, but cultural uh, piece that I've done is about the white stripes. And the moment I realised that the white stripes weren't brother and sister and that they were actually a divorced couple, Mm -hmm. which was just a huge moment for Mm -hmm. me. And so I wrote the piece about that for the cut. And I still get messages and emails from people being like, what? Oh, right. Wow. They're not brother and sister? Like, I freaked some people out with that article. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. There's also, I mean, I'm looking at all 50 Christmas gifts given in the Harry Potter books ranked. Number 50 is a box of dog biscuits. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, top tier criticism. What's the question? (laughs) (laughs) But, like, is that because your television love is, you know... On the border of being a guilty pleasure, is it not a guilty pleasure? Can you speak to that? I don't really believe in guilty pleasures as a rule. I think the thing is I enjoy pop culture and I think that I don't don't subscribe to the opinion that things have to be really serious and traumatic to be worthy Mm. of Mm -hmm. of being art. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book as well because I think we've got this idea that just because something's easy to consume, it was easy to make. 
And that's not the case. Like making things funny, making things light and delightful, distracting people, that's that's actually a skill. Yeah. And so I think with pieces like that, like counting all the <laughs> the bloody Christmas <laughs> gifts in Harry Potter, like it's just a bit of fun and my hope is, I don't know, to distract people from things like a global pandemic. Yeah. Not, you know, how much of hypothetically. The, um, how much of the Seinfeld DVD box set have you watched? All of them. All of it, including all the special features. Oh, you know that. You know I have. My dad and I used to have a game where he would pick a random series of numbers and that's the episode we would watch. Oh, nice. He'd be like, <laughs> that is a good oh, tactic. 2, 14. I'd be like, all right, that's the epi. Wow. Yeah, really cool. My yeah. father-in-law only got recently introduced to um, to Seinfeld in the last couple of years. Like he just discovered it because it was on TV all the time and he just went, oh, we'll record all these. And now he talks about about plot points, but, like, he's part of it. So he'll just start talking like, oh, and George was doing this, and it's like, what? Hang on. Oh, you're talking about Seinfeld again. Like they're mates yeah. or something, yeah. yeah. And we were in a Chinese restaurant. We were waiting a long time. Yeah. So the the book is subtitled uh, Catastrophes in Pursuing Perfection. How is that pursuit going? Uh, I think I've achieved it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the end of the book. Spoilers, (laughs) I'm a perfect person. Because you're right, maybe what I've been chasing this whole time was Anna Grace's trust in herself. I was never sure of anything I'd come up with on my own. Mm. Is that, have we resolved this with the publication of the book? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When you publish a book, all your problems are solved. (laughs) And you're an instant millionaire also. (laughs) Um, No, I think, I mean, the, the actual authentic conclusion I came to when I was writing the book was, oh, yeah, actually, I'm never going to feel totally enough. I'm never going to feel cool enough or relaxed enough or sophisticated enough. There's always going to be someone else who makes me feel like, like I'm crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I, I do a better job of making myself feel like crap than anyone else could. But it's sort of about accepting that imperfect version of yourself as the perfect version. And, you know, it, it's our rough edges that make us interesting. If mm-hmm. we smooth ourselves over so much that we're acting like a person that we, we're not actually that's not actually our personality. Mm. I mean, that's the failure and the disaster. That's where the spicy stories come from. That's right. Yeah. Um, you say that your brother and sister are funnier than you. Oh, big time. Yeah. Do they, was that hard to admit in print? Uh, yeah, but also they don't have book deals. Yeah. So, <laughs> take that, suckers. I just want to know, have you gotten the secret now to uh, have your daily water intake? Oh, my gosh. So I have a special water bottle. Do you have one too? I bought one the other day. Yeah, that tells I'm you like... how to drink. Like you've never encountered water before. <laughs> it's a special two-liter bottle. It's like yeah. a mini water cooler. So I'm like, if I drink this, if you if I've you had left my this intake. studio, you will see my bottle in the next room. Which it, it looks, it's so big. It looks like I'm going on like a two two yeah. week desert trip. And so now I consume so much water, and I'm weeing constantly. Oh. Yeah, very hydrated though. Uh, so let's say we come out of a, let's say there is a lockdown and we come out of it. Will you treat yourself? Will, will you have a gathering? I hope so. Um, I, I really would like to hang out with people, even though I'm, I don't know if you guys have realised, but I'm a bit socially anxious. <laughs> that, um, that may not be clear. Um, I would love to have a little celebration, but also I just feel so grateful that the book's come out yeah. and, and maybe it's come out at a time where people do need a dumb distraction and, you know, stay at home in the bath, have a, have a glass of oaky shard. And- Mate, that's exactly what I did last night. The yes. book is so wet. <laughs> uh-huh. That is such a compliment. Yes. Such a compliment. Put that on the cover. Yeah, that's going on the reprint. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations, Sinead. It's out now. In my defence, I have no defence. Catastrophes in Pursuing Perfection. It's out via a firm press. And um, thanks very much for meeting us in person. Thanks, guys. This thanks, is lovely. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live from Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with The Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.